Welcome to the 360 Recruiting Podcast, a podcast for OU recruiting fans by Sooners360.com. Each week we catch you up on the latest in OU recruiting news and provide opinions and evaluations on all things OU football recruiting. I'm Chris Mason, lead recruit analyst for Sooners360.com. I'm joined this week by my regular co-host, Caleb Cummings, Sooners360.com talent evaluator and opinion creator. This is episode 69, titled, Recruiting Rules Changes Are Coming. So, as always, we will begin with the latest in Sooner recruiting news. So, just a quick, a couple of quick notes to kick off. We're a little bit in the lull of the, of the September, I'm sorry, the February dead period. Um, there are no new commits this week. Uh, there are no new 2025 forecasts, and I'm a little, even I'm, can't quite drum up the energy to talk about a 2026 forecast uh, in February. So, um, sorry, uh, sorry, sorry, the Malaska family. Um, I know Josh McQuishan put in a forecast, but I'm, I'm not quite ready to talk about a, a 2026 cornerback yet. So, um, and unfortunately, Keon, or fortunately, or predictably, probably. Keon Sab committed to Alabama, and um, I think we can just write that off. He went ahead and took the Caleb Downs uh, NIL uh, fund money. They just crossed out Caleb Downs on a contract and wrote in Keon Sab. So uh, Caleb DeBoer uh, showing that he's – I don't want to say he's tampering, but he no, doesn't he, I think I think in fairness it would be proper to speak the truth that the before is tampering his ass off. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, you had Fafita at at a walk yeah, at Arizona, rather, whose dad was who came out with a scathing shot at the boar, and then some Alabama people, I guess, came back with a report of like, oh, well, the boar said kind of, you know, the boar didn't uh, say anything directly. He said it through, oh, I wouldn't do that. And then Fafita's father said, I've got the receipts. Shut your mouth. Yeah, you did. I'll post the. I'll post everything if you don't shut up. And you didn't. You hear it went away. And the other part of that is, Will Johnson apparently at Michigan has been. There's been a ton of chatter from the Michigan side that Alabama again tampering their ass off trying to get Will Johnson. Now, I wouldn't be. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So remember uh, that was remember back in the day when we did our 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 how do you upgrade the OU roster? We're we're tampering our you know. Our hypothetical tamper fest. Remember, Will Johnson was like my second round pick. I mean, you talk about a first round uh, NFL corner, right? I mean, uh, so makes makes a lot of sense. I think it's interesting. You know, I have to laugh, and I, I think I said this on the board, joking. Uh, it's as if Alabama forgot what the twenty years prior to Saban was, because they were on probation every three years for doing stuff. You know, there was a time when the NCAA said, all right, post uh, Bear Bryant, probably, right? I think if anybody from the South would tell you, like, the stories that floated around about the stuff that Alabama did under Bear, I mean, Spurrier famously joked in the 1960s, right? That, yeah, oh, yeah. those Alabama scholarships are just a little bit more valuable than everybody else's, and they always have been. Like, that's just what Alabama, that rush prost, the, the uh, you know, infamous uh, Alabama high school football coach was had the hot mic someone recorded where he very in depth, like detailed to a T described 
the system that Alabama had, both under uh, Bear Bryant and then future under under Nick Saban, talking about how you know there were bag men move things around and how it worked. So I'm sure it's DeBoer's falling on the same one. I think where he's got to be careful is you don't have the capital that Saban has, but you still have a bullseye because you're Alabama. To think yeah, you, that they wouldn't get, you know, made a bit of a, you know, an example of, I think would be assuming well, too much. And the NCAA is going after Tennessee. And as we know, one thing Tennessee does when they realize that they're on the, they're on the, the edge of getting unloaded on, they, they, they rat out Alabama. That, that's, oh, for that, sure. that's, that's what, that's an entire history of doing that. I mean, the it's 90s. funny you say that. It's funny you say that. I kind of harken back to that article we talked about two weeks ago where it showed the number of NCAA infractions right, right. by SEC program. Yeah. And it just so happens that Alabama's two biggest rivals have far and away more than anybody else, Auburn <laughs> and Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, Keon Sab. Uh, he's now enrolled at Alabama. I didn't, when someone said that, I'm like, they're like, like four weeks into their semester and Michigan, he's got to be enrolled in classes at Michigan too. So I don't know what, and I don't know what enrolled means any longer in that, in that usage, right? Enrolled to me generally means even you're only enrolled in one place. Usually, um, (laughs) that's sort of how it goes. Um, so we'll see, but he's not going to be a sooner. Fine. OU's got safety depth, so we'll move on from that topic. Now, OU continues to make offers. 26 kids. I think there's even a couple 27 offers that have gone out recently. Recruiting is just crazy. So, But, Caleb, there were two offers that kind of flared up on my radar. So the first one was 2026 quarterback from Texas. Do we think that's Keyshawn? Do we, we're going to go with Keyshawn? I think we'll go to – I was about to say go do something more complicated like Keyzian, but I think that's probably just Keyshawn. Keyshawn Henderson from Texas, 6'3", 175-pound quarterback. That's what he's listed at. Um, on three, has him listed as a top 50 player nationally for 26, which is, again, strange to have 26 rankings like that already um, based off sophomore film. But they have about wide receiver. Now, Caleb, I watched all of his sophomore highlights, and I didn't see him catch the ball once. I saw him throw the ball, but I didn't see him catch the ball once. So maybe that was his freshman year film, but regardless, he's a good-looking kid on film. I mean, he's got good frame, good mobility, got a whippy kind of arm, factoring the fact that he, you know, does he look thin? Yeah, he's six foot three and he's a sophomore in high school, right? I mean, well, not, you know, he not, re- every, not everybody's Will Griffin. Not everybody is Will Griffin. <laughs> you, you know, he, he reminds me physically of uh, of Jaden Daniels, but you know, when he was coming yeah, out, yeah, right? That's so, a good I mean, that's a good comp. very, very similar. And even, you know, what you talked about there, it was one of the first things I thought when he watched his throwing motion was that he, it's, it's a, he's got a whip, right? Gets it back there, and he can he can let it go, and he's got a long lever to deliver the ball. I remember thinking the same thing about Jaden Daniels of like, okay, well, this kid, you know, once he fills out and becomes what he's going to be, there's a lot of upside. And it took Daniels a little bit of time, uh, you know, because early on he was 175, 180 pounds as a freshman at Arizona State. But I mean, he just won the Heisman Trophy for you know LSU. Th- you know, had one of the best seasons 
I think, uh, statistically for an NCAA quarterback. I'm saying I did not see anything from a receiver standpoint. I don't know if that would be on three making a mistake and having him pegged incorrectly uh, or if, like you say, if he played receiver as a freshman and it looked like a stud. But, uh, I mean, he's got a big, like, good-looking frame. I think he'll fill that out. He could, he'll be your 6'3", 6'4", 210, probably 215-pound kid when he's a you know junior, redshirt junior. I don't know if anybody redshirts anymore, but when he's a junior in college, right, he'll be, he'll be that big kid that he can run. I mean, uh, I don't want to go back to the well too much on the Jaden Daniels comp, right? But, I mean, it's as, as a runner and as a thrower, uh, you know, there's a, he's, he's very toolsy. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting addition. And then, you know, it just makes like six or seven quarterbacks for 2026. So that's the most surprising thing. The the number of guys that they've sent offers out to. And I don't know. I think we talked about this last week. Part of me really thinks that is just, uh, you know, a, a very intelligent, long, long view of the game of football as it pertains to college. And Brent saying, well, yeah, we're going to focus on one or two and we're going to sign the one or two kids, but we want to recruit six, seven, eight kids because everybody's going to transfer multiple times potentially. So let's have relationships with these guys. So if, you know, if Henderson lands at LSU or Texas A&M and doesn't work out and he's going to transfer and Oklahoma has got somebody that's leaving for the NFL early, you know, you can, you've got a relationship there you can fall back on. Or even if he's starting somewhere, you just steal him. Yeah, yeah uh, I know. Keep on sap. There you go. You know, <laughs> you know I, I hate saying that, like, you know, um, but, you know, so now as listeners of the pod and, and as I, I take some I take some abuse for this on our message board, successful abuse, it's well executed, done and all in good jest. Last year, my obsession was, oh, you please sign a big safety, right? They got Jaden. Hardy, they had Michael Patterson, McDonald, and I was like, I, I love those guys, but they're they're like five eleven, six foot, five ten, you know, they you know, and those guys can play safety. We see lots of guys being, you know, really good safeties in the college game. I just want a bigger guy, right? And I got obsessed with a couple of different players and and then the coaches somehow were listening to all this and grabbed Reggie Powers and and uh and 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 our good friend Michael Boganowski, Bogo as we Bogo as we as we um as we refer to him, I probably, he probably, his family probably hates that. But um, so they got two big safeties, and those guys apparently, from all reports, look fantastic. So, all right, so all right, so I'm off the big safety thing, right? Because Jonah Williams, you know, OU's tracking on Jonah Williams, and they got a big safety already taken care of. So, Caleb, my obsession this year is officially: I want a defensive tackle who's six three or taller and is over 275, 280 pounds right now, okay? So that's, that's, that's what I want, right? And I've mentioned a number of players. If you follow me on Twitter, you see me mention the, the kid from Quebec, Canada, that's now at an Alabama prep school that Josh Bates has offered. There's the kid from North Carolina that I really like, Jaden. Uh, and I'm, I'm following different guys, suggesting different guys. So here's my latest. I'm searching for this suggestion. And his name is Joshua Sharma. And if we sign him, I'm going to be calling him Joshua Shwarma Shwarma because I love chicken shwarma. So he's from Sacramento, California. 
Caleb. I've never heard of him until he just he posted that he that he was ecstatic that Josh Bates offered him. I pulled off his pulled up his film when I first saw his his Twitter profile, Caleb. It said six foot five and it said D line O line next to it, and I was like, well, I know what that means. This is another bill offer, right? Anytime I see O, you know, six five, three hundred pounds O line D line, I'm like. It's always an it's, it's always it's, it's always an offensive lineman, right? It's I think always, as Oklahoma fans, you know, we've just become we become programmed to that because there's a right. bunch of guys that Oklahoma recruited. I mean, we're talking two dozen or more that I could probably start writing down that Oklahoma recruited did not sign, and I can recall most of the every guy, uh, particularly one in particular, right? That's covered Oklahoma recruiting for a long time. It was it was always. Offensive line. He's the future offensive line. I look at him. He's got to play offensive tackle. He's right, got to right, play right, offensive right. tackle. And all these guys are starting defensive tackles in the NFL. So, <laughs> you know, it's – I get it. You know, I get it. Yeah. And, and so maybe I the saw. argument is, well, you know, you'll make more money if you're, uh, you know, yeah. if you're well, if you're Trent Williams. You know, like, yeah, if you're Trent Williams, you know, like <laughs> – so, so, yeah. so I'm so conditioned to like pulling up their film and being like, yeah, you're you're an offensive lineman. It's like the Juju Marks kid, right? Julian oh, Marks. He is an offensive lineman. He is an offensive lineman, right? So I'm so conditioned. So I pull up his film and I'm like, and then I look back and I'm like, wait, wait, Bates offered him, not Bill. Okay, all right, well, that's a first. That's a good sign. And I pull up his film and I'm like, well, looky here, this guy is uh, this guy is six four, six five. He's nearly three hundred pounds. He's only playing defensive line in his highlights, and He's big. He's quick. For, for his size, he's quick. Um, and I'm like, what? What am I missing here? Like, no one. I've never heard of the kid. He's not ranked. He's like a three star, like the number sixty five defensive lineman in the country. I'm like, that's not what I'm seeing on film here. And his the rest of his D line is tiny, so they're moving him around the field left and right because trying to stop them getting triple teamed. Because the rest of his D line looks like it may be like. 5'10", 200 pounds, 6'1", you know, 6 foot, 220. I mean, he's like, I mean, when he's at nose guard, his ends look like they are maybe the size of running backs. Maybe, (laughs) maybe. So, Caleb, am I having like a fever dream here or has Bates Bates found something in California here? I really like him. Uh, I mean, be honest with you, uh, I think watching his tape, I've one of the first clips I kind of thought to myself, mm, like Deshaun Terry, I think he moves maybe a little bit better than Terry does, even. But he's that type of he's that type of guy. I'm a I'm with you completely on the the big six foot four, six foot five, three hundred, and you know if if you can get you a Devondre Sweat that's six four and three fifty and can move like that, you know, by all means get him. But just those, I think. With the way the run game schemes are utilized these days, where so much is done effectively in space, right? An athletic guy like that, that's so big, you know, they're going to have so many opportunities where it's going to really be one on one with a guard, a little, you know, one on one with a center. And it's, you know, that Michigan, I mean, and Harbaugh's gone, right? Where they were condensing everything down, coming off the ball and, and just climbing in your butt. Uh, no, a lot of teams aren't doing that. Like you watch Washington, it's totally different, right? It's it, it's guys running and it's out in space. But guys like that, you know, the ability to really bully 
some of those 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 uh, offensive guards because of his size and athleticism and really be highly impactful. And I think in today's game, and base, I say baseball, football has always been to me similar to baseball in terms of like great defenses are great up the middle. You know, you'd be great at shortstop, catcher, center field, and, and your great defenses in football are going to be really good defensive tackle, Mike Backer, and safety. And, you know, it, it, those big guys, uh, I think we saw it with Texas, like, you know, kind of go back to sweat again. And I think, and to me, when I watched the film of Texas' defense, like, he helped make that defense what it was this year because, you know, really from – you know, and, and, almost, Murphy, and Murphy and Murphy feasted, and well, well, Murphy feasted off Sweat's attention, well, he right? He, he, he was able to. He was always going to be one on one, and he was this you know six foot, three hundred and ten pound ball of muscle. He's a little muscled up guy that really you know did a great job of developing himself physically when he had a, he had a DeSoto you know at his time at UT. And he was just going to be working one on one with guards, and he, you know, like we just like we just talked there. With that, he was he's quick and able to get around guys, use his athleticism, playing, and you know, there's a bit more space inside than I think there has been in years past, and he was able to really feed off of that. And and with Sweat, you just had this big mass that you know that's why I think they were such a bad matchup for for Alabama is because with those two from tackle to tackle, they just shut everything down. You know, and then it allows, okay, now we can help everywhere else. We can be creative everywhere else. We can do lots of things everywhere else because these two guys right here, you can't move them, you can't beat them, and they're gonna they're gonna rough you up all game. And so I I'm I'm you know, give me all the six foot five, three hundred pound guys, you know. Maybe if we want to go back to a a kid that, you know, you could say maybe a little bit similar to that was a former sooner, Adrian Taylor. You know, Adrian came out of Mansfield, I think was listed like 6'5", 300 pounds, three-star kid. And you get into campus, and when he was healthy, he he was a future NFL guy before he had that, you know, horrific break of his leg against Stanford. Yeah, the thing to me is that it's it's a weaker D-line class overall, right? Unless you're getting Elijah Griffin or Justice Terry out of Georgia, and you're not getting either of those kids out of Georgia. You're not. It's a weaker D-line class overall, interior-wise. And, you know, just maybe a little bit overall. And I don't want to say weaker, but it's just, I just think, oh, you maybe, you signed the top guys last last class, right? You got the guys. Maybe this is a class where you take a couple of, I won't call them gambles, but guys who have, you know I'm saying? They just have, okay, maybe they're not complete products, but their ceilings are higher, right? Like Smith or Rogbo. Like if you could take Smith or Rogbo and and Charmer, to me that'd be like you're going longer, better athletes, and maybe they are roarer. They're they're more roar than some of the other guys, right? They're less developed, but you you develop those guys, and yeah. then all of a sudden you're not in a down down year. You you're gambling on the up, right? And I'd rather do that than at D line at D line than take some smaller kids who are. Who look better on film, right? That are just right now are better finished products. Like, okay, yeah, but he's 6'2, 275, right? I mean, I understand that, but we don't need three of those guys in the class. We've got, you know, Kamori Moore is six foot three hundred. He looks really good. He's he's but he's but he's you know, he's not six four, three twenty. He's just not. That's not who he is. So if you could find a guy who you get who's six five, three ten and is 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 mobile and 
then, you know, to the same thing about Smith or Ogbo, you know, if you can bring him on campus and you turn that six foot five two twenty into six foot five two fifty, and he's headhunting people with his length and his size and his twitch. It's I think that's what you do in a down I think that's what you do in a down D line year, right? You go, who are the who's the ceiling guys and let's let's go after those rather than maybe going for the the super productive guys with, with slightly less measurables. Just I, I'm I'm gonna gamble because I've got a I've got I've got good guys in front of them. You know what I'm saying? I, I got the I got the measurables production guys last year. I'm, I'm gonna gamble well, a little bit this year with some with the measurables who have who who aren't quite there yet, guys. I, I'm always I, you know I think we've we've talked about this on here, right? There are certain positions that are a bit more of their trait positions, uh, defensive line particularly edge. Like so, that's why I'm such a big fan of Smith Aragba. Uh, those are trait positions. Do you have the length? Do you have the twitch? The get off, the quickness. Can you can you bend and get the corner? Can you do those things? Right. Uh, I, and I'm with you. You know, I think in, in a lot of ways, right. It's uh, if you if you believe that you're a developmental program, you believe in your strength and conditioning. You believe in your position coaches that can teach. You believe in, you know, just your entire approach to that. Take, take the traits, like, right. I mean, you know, if, if you believe in that, right. I mean, take the traits, I, you know, I think there's definitely in some, some instances, uh, I, I would not want to discount, you know, your six foot three, 275 pound kids, you know, like the, the kid out of, uh, out of New Jersey, right. He probably falls into that because yeah. there are, there are some kids where you're looking at, okay, I, I, what I don't ever want to do is discount the upside of their traits. Well, maybe yeah, six, yeah, three, yeah. 275 now, but he's going to be six, three, 295. And it's going to be a rocked up, mean, aggressive, nasty, like, Ultra aggressive, two ninety five. Right. I just want, I just want to balance it out, right? I want, Absolutely. I want, a, I want a Bruler and I want a Charmer, right? I want, you know, you say you want to take Shield Knight, fine. Then I want a Rod Bow. I want to, <laughs> yeah. I want to balance it out, right? So because Shield Knight has, you know, has really good high school numbers. He, I mean, his film, he's, I mean, he's working it. I mean, there's no, no question about his motor drive and effort, right? At all, none. Um, so I just want to balance that out, right? Especially in a year where, you know, OU's going to struggle to get an elite guy, right? You got to okay. So, so inside, your point. It's, inside, like, it's almost inside. like from an Oklahoma perspective, right? It's like, you know, uh, I think I could be wrong when I say this, but I don't know that I am. It's like Austin English was maybe best when Frank Alexander was the opposite of him, right? When it was, you know, Austin's this six foot three. 250 pound motor guy from Canadian, Texas, right? And then you've got Frank over here who's six foot five, 270 pounds, looks like your prototypical defensive end kid from Louisiana. And, and you're able to pair those two as opposed to, you know, like, and, and maybe the same for, for Jeremy, you know, for Beal, because, you know, Jeremy's what, 6'3, 265, 270. Uh, but he's more of a technician. He's, he wasn't a, a quick twitched up guy. I think, you know, if you can pair him and, those, Al- him and Alexander were perfect. Perfect. Right. High they motor, they high play motor. off of each other yeah. very well. And so, yeah. Uh, you know, there's look, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. 
you know, fo- playing yeah. football isn't all traits. Uh, it's you've got to play the game. Like there's a reason guys like Jeff George, you know, didn't pan out, right? Guy right. Could throw, you know, throw a ball, you know, 80 yards, but uh, couldn't, you know, had a 10 cent head, right? Uh, million dollar arm, 10 cent head. And, and a $5 and, mustache while he was in Atlanta. <laughs> $5 mustache, I like that. You know, but now I'm, I'm, I like the the traits of Sharma. It's, it just goes back to like, you know, you're six five, three hundred pounds. You can run, you can move, you can bend. Uh, all those things, all those things scale. Yeah, I just just a mix of them, right? I mean, you know, I, some people are projecting like they want to take Landon Rink and Bruler, and I'm like, they're the same guy, and on some on certain level. And first off, Rink is going to Texas. He's going to go to Texas. It's just going to yeah. Go I don't. Right. That, I, I don't want. I kind of. It's the same way as uh, the kid from Westlake, right? It's like just leave, leave, let that be. Don't yeah. waste your time, your effort, all of these things. You know, it's like chasing after the girl that all she can ever think about and talk about is her ex boyfriend, right? Right. Like, yeah. Just yeah. Like, even yeah. if you get, you know, there's just a, leave a, it alone. There's a. How I Met Your Mother episode about that, how like he's he's on the, this woman has him on the hook and constantly has him on the hook and he thinks he's dating her and she's constantly obsessed with her ex and he he starts doing stuff for her and then he finds out that he's actually kept a woman on, has a, he has it, that version of that and then she, and then, then, then that girl has her version of the guy, the guy who wants to be, he's like, you know, it's uh, it, it works that way. So, well, enough of my obsessions about wanting to have a, a, a big, big defensive tackle. Caleb, it looks like OU's big recruiting weekend is set for June 21st. Looks like that's going to be the Barbecue U weekend. Uh, that was reported by uh, Suda Scoop, but I've been seeing kids starting to make official, talk about official visits and interviews on the 21st on various sites, 247 and on three. So it looks like that's the big weekend. Um, do, we, do we like this sort of big weekend setup? Would you change it at all, considering the, the number of verbals OU has, or... Do you think it's worked well the first two years? It's not broke. You know, why, why change things up? Where are you on that a little bit? You know, I like it. Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind was when Urban Meyer got to Florida and he built up Friday Night Lights, you know, and that that was the first of its kind. And it became this. I mean, everybody kind of wanted to try to mimic it in the, in the coming years after Florida began to do it. But the kids would you know, going to Florida's Friday night lights, like that was the real one. I think Oklahoma's done a really good job with the champion barbecue. And, you know, if memory serves correct, and I don't know that it does again, I've been hitting the head a lot. Uh, but I think Oklahoma was the first program to really start doing that, to do this family barbecue version of, of an event and that champion barbecue and, and first one to really start, you know, all the ex players and the cars and planes and, you know, all of this, right. And you start to see everybody mimicking that. I would stick with it because some, some regards, like that's kind of a bit of the, one of their brands, right. That's an event, right. you know, like the Friday night lights. So I like that. And I think it also, it's a good inflection point to some regards, right. As the summer's getting going, I think it gives you an idea of, okay, who, you know, over this next two months, where where are we at with these guys? I think Oklahoma's at a really good spot, obviously, this year in comparison because they've got more commits at an earlier stage than they've had in previous years. But, uh, you know, it, it lets you 
probably kind of reshape your board as well going into some vital time, right? Because you've just come out of spring evaluations. So there's been some things added. It allows you to really, you know, uh, ha- you bring those kids in. Maybe someone you you evaluated in spring, you like more, get them on campus, find out where you're at. Maybe you shuffle some things around going into summer, which is, uh, I'd be honest, I'd the recruiting calendars change, so I'm not sure how much is going on in summer now versus you know the past two years. But what we've seen over the last couple of years is this massive flurry of kids committing leading up to mid-August, let's say, getting things done before their senior year starts. And so this is a good kickoff to that 60-day window. Well, while we're talking about big plans and big recruiting plans coming up for OU, and we'll obviously be tracking all the kids that'll be that are going to be choosing. Uh, big weekends in June because oh, you probably will have some kids come in the 14th and then some kids the 21st. We'll see how they handle that with the, the verbals they have means maybe they can actually just have a one, you know, a, a really big weekend because they may not be checking that many kids. So we'll see. So Caleb, it's being reported by various sites. Um, I know Matt Zemitz was the first to report it, but Two four seven on three and and OU Insider have also been fo- had follow up articles on this. Uh, Jr. Sandlin's moving on to SMU, and Curtis Lofton appears to be moving up in terms of his status in terms of managing the recruiting enterprise. Curtis, baseball at Gabe and Teddy, we're talking about. Looks like he's going to get a promotion and some title like assistant GM and be very involved in the scouting and evaluation of things and recruiting. Looks like OU is trying to be proactive and be ready for some NCA changes in the way recruiting is done. So, so Caleb, I'm going to have you put on your, your grand strategy hat here. And let's presume the NCA makes the change that everyone wants them to make, right? Which is to allow staff beyond the set assistant coaches to recruit off campus, right? So that the, the so the, is you're no longer just tied to the 10 guys. You're able to use all of your offensive line assistant, assistant assistants, and all those guys, the guys doing all the evaluation. You're allowed to free them up to go to colleges, sorry, to go to high schools, scout in person, and do off-campus recruiting. So they're basically almost fully integrated into your recruiting staff. All right. So, so Caleb, imagine you've got the regular coaching staff just as per usual right now. And then from a budget standpoint, I'm going to give you 10 recruiting staffers that can go off campus and they're going to help the current coaching staff recruit. How do you think you would use them? Are you strictly going to give everybody a, a new buddy who can go off campus? Or are you, going to, are you going to make some guys more analysis, some guys more in-home, building relationships? How do you think you might, if, and I'm just going to use the 10 number just to kind of put a little imaginary structure around it. It could be 15, it could be seven, I don't know. All the, this is one of these areas where the schools, this is where, this is where OU, Alabama, all these schools need to break off and sign an agreement on how many people they're going to have, right? So they don't all end up just, it doesn't, it doesn't become the Florida staff of 100 people and, and they're still losing, you know, uh, seven games a year. Um, so, it's just not cost effective. That's just not cost effectively using these people. So I'm going to give you a 10. Would you strictly like map them one to one to the current position coaches, or would you do something different 
and the analysis, scouting versus versus the actual maybe personal touch of recruiting? What what would you do? You know, so this is just recruiting. These guys cannot help on practice field. No, that's for now. For now, we're going to limit it to this. We're a recruiting okay. show. We're going to limit them to just recruiting. Yeah, I'll be honest. Then it's probably a pretty straightforward answer for me. Okay. And I would say I, I would I would take those ten staffers and I would I would inv- I would reinvent the wheel uh, of an NFL franchise in the most successful NFL franchises front offices, and I would do it with those ten staffers. If you take that out and you build it into regional scouts, and you have a hierarchy within that, right? You have guys that are you know the because I hate to, I kind of hate talking about some of this in terms of like making me feel dirty to say you would have a head of, you know, the NFL, you have head of pro scouting or in, in pro in professional football, right? You have, you have guys that scout just, uh, current, uh, professional football players. You have guys that scout the college, uh, and those are things where you can break that out however you want. If you want to go regionally, if you want to go by position, yeah, obviously the NFL does this so regionally more. Uh, I, I would really, I would mirror that out. And I, you know, I think the hope would be there, right? You can provide so much additional, uh, help from an evaluation standpoint and a process standpoint, you know, they can have the, the original communication that it would free up the the coaches a bit to to then have deeper relationships with those set guys. So I, would, I mean honestly I would just take what the NFL does in that regard and say, okay, like, you know, Seattle Seahawks, look at their entire front office, go beat with Schneider and build out a, you know a mirror image of what they're doing, what they've done, and and put it put it in Norman. So okay, here's how we're gonna approach it. I think, you know, maybe it, with with Curtis being the guy that's potentially you know moving into that role and being talked about his eight years in the NFL and having that experience probably gives you a bit of a leg up there as well. And I think Sandlin started his recruiting quote unquote career as a uh, recruiting assistant at you know under Saban or on Saban's staffs at Alabama and like you know what nine ten eleven eight nine ten somewhere in there. So his original staffs and that's. By and large, really, what Nick Saban did in some ways, right, is he brought his NFL model. I mean, he, I had to laugh and we were seeing it the first time where it was, you know, he brought a chart out. It's okay, we want our corners to be to fall within these parameters as it relates to height, to weight, to length, arm length, right, speed, their agility, all of these things. It was really just bringing out from a big board perspective. Here's how the NFL approaches it. We know, you know, you have a. X percent better chance of being successful at the, the corner position if you know your athletic traits fall within you know this this segment of, of the chart. I just allow Oklahoma to get that much more in depth from a scouting perspective. To I mean, at the end of the day, right? We've talked about this a lot. Like, take the offensive line as a good example. If doing that, well ensures that you land one additional offensive lineman each class and of the five you land one kid per class more pans out than was previously occurring at that position over a five-year period you've drastically changed what your offensive line room looks like so that's it's kind of how i'd approach it well the only change i think i would make to what you're talking about because i you you i've seen the wisdom of what you're saying about is i do think i would take I would take maybe 
four out of the ten, and I would I would make them kind of I would give them two on offense, two on defense, and help them with the actual personality part of recruiting to help the coaches with the numbers, especially like Bill with the number of kids he's working with, help to build more relationships just because Bill's juggling 18 kids, right? You know, it's tough, right? Help. I would think I would juggle a little bit there, but overall, I, 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 I like what, I like what you're selling. I'm, I'm digging what you're selling. So I think I give them, I give a little bit to the, I give of the, of the resources. I give a little bit to the personality stuff. Like, you know, I, I, I'm trying to make, think of an offensive lineman who I think would be, you know, it would be great as Bill's sort of like recruiting assistant and somebody, I mean, I, I, somebody like John Cooper, but he has a real job, you know, but somebody <laughs> like, yeah. well, you know what though, but to your point, I really think that I, you know, in this new version of college football division one, right. Whatever it becomes, I do hope they really kind of, and I think Saban is going to be, and I One know he said this publicly. The voice is He's pushing this. really yeah. big. I, I, I really, from even a process standpoint, you know, Bill Walsh shaped the NFL of what it is today, right? You know, like what he did from like, let's say, a minority coach perspective, you know, just in, in these coaching internships and how he started bringing all these additional coaches in. Uh, and you look at what his tree still is. I mean, Andy Reid is a Bill Walsh disciple and. But he's removed. He's one removed, right? Because it was Holmgren leaves San Francisco, goes to Green Bay, hires Andy Reid as his quarterback coach, right? Yeah, Andy yeah, Reid yeah, leaves yeah. Green Bay, and he goes. I mean, so I mean, the NFL has got Bill's fingerprints all over it, and they're, everybody's better for it, and the game is better for it. I I would hope that they would step in and say, you know what? Like to your point right there, what we need is. You know, we limit these coaches maybe a little bit too much. We ask too much of them. We have these large support staffs. So let's put parameters around that where your front offices, whatever they're going to call them, can be X number of people. And your coaching staffs, you can have 10 on the field, whatever this is. You have your four graduate assistants. We're going to give you, let's say, four. We're going to give you four additional assistant assistants. Because you look at NFL, you have the assistant uh, offensive line assistant, you right. You have effectively yeah. he, he, the offensive line coach has an assistant offensive line coach. That, like you said, it's like, hey, we've got eighteen guys here. We're going to break up. We're going to go in two groups. You're taking the inside guys, or you're going to take, you know, the second and third team. I'm going to take the first. Let's go break that up and do that. You know, and the other part of that is you're going to start developing better coaches. You know, uh, in, and, yeah. and and also you're you're. I think we see this is the first year I think I can say this statement without a lot of a lot of a lot of you know back talk. This is the first year I can really recall kind of a young coach brain drain from college to the NFL. Oh, it's massive. And when you look at and you see it like every day, right? The uh was a running back coach at, at USC that had apparently some groups reached out to about, hey, do you want to be an offensive coordinator at the college level? Like turns everybody down. Not going to stay at USC. He's going, Jim Harbaugh, going to stay in LA, go coach for the Chargers. Like, can you see it across the board? Yeah, you know, I, I listened to uh, Bruce Feldman on, right. on uh, oh gosh, former uh, Sports Center anchor. He's now, he does Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen. Oh, I love Rich so Eisen. Rich Eisen. Rich yeah. Eisen's show is great. 
Yeah, so he had a there was a small clip and 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 Feldman, it was interesting. He said that when he really started talking to Chip, it was during the bowl games, UCLA had a guy bolt. Uh, I think it was offensive quarterback coach, bolted, took another job somewhere else. And he started coaching quarterbacks like every day hands-on. And he was just like he had an epiphany of like, my God, I'm spending all my time meeting with boosters, meeting with business guys in the community, trying to convince, you know, the local guys who, who are trying to raise three kids making $50,000 and their wife's making $40,000. They can't afford shit. I'm trying to convince them to sign up with this NIL and give us $20 of your money every single month so we can go get this high school kid to come play corner for us for one season before Ohio State poaches him. He was sick of that. And he's like, I actually just love coaching quarterback position. I love calling plays. Like I love just coaching. Uh, right. And so he, when, when the opportunity to bolt to Ohio state, he's like, Oh, so I can go to a premier university make a couple million dollars a year and just coach football and not have to deal with the other stuff. Sign me up. I will happily give away one of the top jobs in college football. Really? Honestly, you would say one of the top jobs in football. Right. I know it's UCLA. And, ah, look, there's 32 NFL teams. That's it. Right. We're talking about all the jobs in the world as it relates to football. UCLA is one of the top jobs. Dude gave it up freely because he was like, I don't want to deal with this. I mean, you saw Jim yeah. Harbaugh, Nick Saban, all these guys are just going, all right, I'm out. And I think it's only a matter of time if they don't get some stuff changed that you'll see someone like a Dabo Sweeney just go, you know what? I love pouring you, into these guys. I love doing these things. But well, at the you end saw of the day, him blow up on his radio show, right? To whatever that dude was, and he was like, you know, you are so self entitled, and you know, yeah. he was just he sort of went off on him, like, you know, you 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 make me sick. You know, it's like, well, <clears throat> I mean, all these guys, like he's, I know, and everybody probably hates him, and everybody it's hung up on. Oh, well, he makes eight million dollars a year, and it's like if you. Really look at it though. When Dabo got into coaching, that's not what coaches are being paid. You know, he started out as like an assistant receivers coach at Alabama, you know, or whatever, or Clemson, making, he took a pay cut. I've seen him tell this story. He took a pay cut. He was working at like a real estate investment firm, you know, in, in Alabama. And he's like, but he loved football. Football coaches were not making that much in the late 90s, right? Not make as much no, as you I were mean, doing no, that. 70, 70, I mean, yeah. even today, I mean, you know, even back in like 2010, like a, you know, like a, you know, like a DeMarco, not DeMarco Murray, you know, like a DeMarco Murray would, you know, or somebody like that is a, you know, leaves the pros and take a job at Arizona to be a running backs coach. That was like a $7,500,000 job, maybe. Oh, um, yeah, I can remember, you know, early days when, you know, the the money first started getting talked about quite a bit. So early 2000s, mid 2000s, right, 2005. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you had. Your position coach is making one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year, and that's—I'm yeah. not saying that's not good. A lot of money, money. right? Yeah, exactly. But, but you know, you know, it's not—it's you know what? It's not—it's not fu money. No, and <laughs> guys like guys like where I was going with that is guys like Dabo or you know whomever else, right? They have made fu money now for ten years, and you're going to get to the point where they're going to go. You know what? I'm tired of dealing with this. All the stuff I got into this for was to coach, be around football, to be around young people, to try to develop them. I don't get to do that now. And every young kid I try to like sit down and, and really talk about, hey, you know, here's how we want to build your character. He just looks at me and says, you see Mike Loxley, he joked about it on this radio show. Yeah, yeah. He said uh, his third team running back came in and said, I need $125,000. 
And he said, where the hell is this number coming from? What are you talking about? Like, you're a third-team running back. It's like, well, if I don't get 125K, I'm leaving. You know? And Loxley turned to the guys that were interviewing me and said, you guys might look out. I might be sitting up there with you next year. I might, you know, maybe I'm almost, I'm getting close to being done with this. So, I mean, you got another coach of a Big well, Ten yeah. program that's in a yeah. bowl games, you know, getting close to saying, I'd, I'd rather not be a part of this. So, yeah. So, if, if it looks like the NCAA's, you know, moving, moving in that direction, if they could get better staffs, less hours, make them, make it a better experience and allow guys to do what they want to do and focus on some of the, some less of some of the stuff that, the glad handling money bagging kind of grimy stuff that I think a lot of coaches are just like, I don't, I don't want to be, this isn't who I, this isn't who I am. So, so let's hope the NCAA makes some changes there. It does look like we are getting a, a recruiting change though. Um, it looks like right now that a, a group, a working group of the NCA and the coaches and all that is about to suggest Moving the signing December signing period up to the Wednesday before any before the FBS championship games, and that's by that I mean the conference championship games, which are all going to occur on December fourth this year. Thanksgiving's a little earlier. Um, so, Caleb, just I know a lot of people are like, "Well, this is such a half move," and at some point we just got to take what we can get when they when they seem to be making sensible, reaching sensible decisions, right? If you know, if the if the group can come to this and say, "Let's do this," so let's just talk about that right off the bat. I, I think you and I both agree that that's a good move. Get it done before the portal season starts in December. Oh yeah, I think it's important for probably all of every, not every. You know, I suppose there's that top percentage that would sign regardless, but it's really important for so many high school kids. I think those numbers have been reported a lot over the and last I want, few years. And I years. really want them to get their pie before the portal stuff, right? Well, yeah, that's say those numbers have been reported the last few years that just the number of high school kids signing has been down significantly because these staffs will just look at it and go, I mean, God, Ole Miss is a good example, right? Uh, this year, I think they maybe signed 20, low 20s. The year before, it was what, 15 12 or, I mean it was it was really low in terms of high school kids they signed. They just looked at it and said, "You know what? We'll, we'll sign a couple of kids at high school every year, but we're going to predominantly go after the portal because we could poach, you know, really good kid in high school that signs with someone else, to signs with Vanderbilt, let's say, plays as a freshman. Uh we'll just poach him away." Yeah, uh, you know, so I'm I'm a I like it. And I think anything they can do to add uh, less volatility to the roster situation is is a is a good is a good move. So they're talking about that. They're also talking about an early signing period. I think before the season. I'm not sure they'll get that in this year because um, that would be a, that'd be a pretty big change. Because um, we are. I mean, and I know everyone's like, well, you know, it's not that big a change, guys. It's we're February. We're nearly in March, right? And you're talking about making changing a signing day and allowing a signing day, say August fifteenth. Well, for, I would for, say what I think would be interesting about that is how the colleges would handle it. Yeah, it you would know, be interesting. because you just you talked about last week, right? The Coleman kid out of Florida. You know, so Trevor Jackson would be a good example of just came oh, off yeah. an Elite Eleven appearance. Here's this next big stud going into his senior year. Old boy got beat out by a sophomore. And he would have a group like Florida or someone else signing him 
in August. In August. Yeah. And what happens? You know, there's, there's, I, I would be interested to see how many colleges go look at kind of the fringe players. Does that start pushing some of the offers back further? Like, uh, don't want to offer this guy and take him because it's, yeah. he's going to sign in August and we're not going to have a way to backdoor out of that during the season to go well, sign not, somebody not better. A, not, not in a pretty way, not without yeah. getting, not without getting roasted by, the coaches association of whatever state you pull the offer, you pull the letter of intent, and you'll end up all over some radio station where someone will be calling you, um, you know, irresponsible hypocrites or 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 something along those lines. So it would be really interesting. I mean, to your point, Caleb, it would be very fascinating. Like, oh, oh, you going to sign twenty five. You know, you've got twenty verbals. They're all ready to sign August fifteenth. Yeah. Well, we only oh, you only signed seventeen kids. Well, what about the three that didn't sign? Well, I, I know you could at least fall back. Well, we, we can't talk about those guys. But the kids will be talking like, well, I was all set to sign with OU. And oh, then, yeah. That's what and I mean. Then, in in today's day and age. And my paperwork. And it said social media. OU just pulled my offer 12 hours before. Now, I don't, and I'm not sure Brent. Brent, to probably his detriment, is a classy is a classy guy about some these sort of things, right? About commitments and all that. But we know that the rest of college football coaches, even the good guys, aren't necessarily so committed to doing things in a honorable, classy way, right? So it may not be an OU thing, but like, would it shock anyone to say, I'm trying to think of a couple of a couple of my favorite uh, scumbag coaches on around. Oh, okay, I still got one. All right, so LSU and Brian Kelly, all of a sudden, you know, they oh, have scissor lift, scissor, scissor lift, um, you know, are about to sign 23 kids. And all of a sudden on signing day, they say, well, we only signed 17. And again, also um, academics, right? Oh, you know, we can, we can, you know, it'd be, it would be a good message to some kids, right? Like, well, that's an interesting one. I hadn't even thought about that. You know, if you're a college coach and there are kids that you know, need to have a good senior year academically to just, you know, let's say they're French, like, Hey, we're not worried. They won't qualify, but we know if we know that if they fall off the map, they won't. Right. Maybe even, maybe even to the degree of like, look, you had to talk to them. Like you didn't get your academic work together because it's not going to work in college. Right. If you don't start making this a little bit serious, you know, in college, you're not going to, you're not going to live. No one's, no one's giving you grades in college. Okay. I can't say Auburn, that. But anyway, or, Baylor, or North, 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 but, North, North Carolina. Um, North Carolina is a good one. But, you know, but so that's the thing, right? Like I, I think having an August one opens up a bag of worms for the college coaches. And I'd, in a good way. It, in a good way. Yeah. I, but I'd be surprised if they would, when they really pull back and start thinking about it, I'd be surprised if they all come together and say, this is a good idea. Let's do this. You think they're going to be like, "Ooh, I might look like a scumbag." I think they will. I think. I think they. You know, maybe the more they think about it, they'll think, "Oh gosh, wait a second. There's some. There's some negative to that." Like, like, yeah, I signed twenty kids. How many of them am I realistically like wedded to August fifteenth academically? Or it's just like the uh, it's just like the whole Michigan sign stealing thing as it pertains to what for twenty years. People in college football have been like, hey, just put the mics in the helmet and you'll eliminate that. Yeah. But you have you have the offensive coordinator who's like, but no, I want to 
I don't want my quarterback to make a decision on the field. I want to make every decision. I want to have the ability to run this down to zero and switch all this up. And you have the teams whenever they're going like, wait a second, I like sign stealing. The head coach is going like, you know, it's good and bad here. We do both of them. So like we want to do hurry up. Right. Like Jeff Levy, his biggest fear is like he doesn't want the thing to go in because I'm sure it'll be similar to the NFL where at like 10 seconds or at 15 seconds, I think, right, the mic will click off. Like you'll have from 25 down to 15 or from 35, right, down to 15, you'll have that 20 seconds to talk. At 15, it clicks off. Right. So you're not going to have over there holding cards up down to zero, down to one, trying to catch him in something. Uh, You know, and I mean, James Harbaugh is gone now, or Zach Scallion, so you know you don't have that. But you're not. I mean, these coaches have been stealing signs for. I had a coach. <laughs> it's a really good line in college. He joked, he said, "Man, if you, son, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying." And so uh, every staff is doing something. But when it comes down to like, do we want to change these rules? They all pull back and go like, "Well, it would be great to screw somebody else, but I'm not going to be able to screw them. So let's just keep this." The way it is. I, I, it's it's I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm smarter than the average than the other guy. So why give him an advantage? Which or, which you know what that that actually you saying that really does strike home why the turnover is what it is in college football coaches. If every one of them sons of bitches is walking in every room thinking they're the smartest guy, no wonder they're all fired in three years. Well, they they are they are. I mean, it's it's they can't help themselves. We know we know it's we know Lincoln they're in Riley. The wrong room. We know Lincoln Riley has the disease, um, but you know he—he's he, not the first patient. He isn't patient zero. Um, again, you know, if you walk in a room and in the first sixty seconds you can't figure out if you're the sucker, who the sucker is, you're the sucker, right? In That's gambling, right? right? You, if you if the first if you walk into a gambling establishment or sit down at a poker table or anything, and you can't figure out who the mark is in the first first two minutes, you're the mark. So anyway, so. Yeah, I think, I think if they could, I think the, I mean, the August fifteenth thing is going to be interesting because for a lot of coaches, it, they, they're going to be fighting that 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 desire to lock in their kids, right? You know, I don't have to put up with this late this late game bullshit. Though that happened, I mean, December was well, OU was 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 relatively uneventful, but. Like Florida, Alabama, and I mean, it was a mess in December. Like with the NIL stuff, it was like it was a me- it was messy. So I could see them biting the bullet on it just to avoid. Speaking that. of which, I have to ask this: Did you see the video? Was it was it McCray? That who it is? Yeah, yeah, LJ McCray. LJ McCray, five star defensive lineman, signed with Florida. You know, obviously yep. was you know recruited by everybody very heavily. And there's a video flip-flop, on social flip-flop media. Flip flop twice. Flip flop twice. Flip flop twice. <laughs> for more money, obviously. And there's a video on social media of him bringing his mom into a house and giving her the keys. And it says he bought her the home. My assumption is probably it's more likely that it's part of a the rental. NIL deal. Yeah. It's, it's a, a it's, rental. Yes. It's where it's like, hey, it's, it's a, a lease. lease. It's a part yeah. of like, it's similar to the Bear Alexander, right? When he went to USC, he's yeah. immediately in a, you know, in a, in a nice condo downtown LA. Right. I'm sure it's similar where it was like, hey, a part of my NIL deal is you have to put us up in a nice, you know, four bed, three bath house that's, you know, 3000 square feet in 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 Gainesville. But all this is like, you know, the message was Florida recruit buys his mama house and everybody's like, how do you not love this? I'm thinking like the opposite in the end of that and being like, 
like, how do you not love it? I'm thinking like, how on earth have we gotten to the place where this is good? This this is good. Where it's, Hey, you've never done anything outside of like, you haven't even graduated high school yet. Uh, Maybe, maybe, yeah. Right. Maybe he's early. I don't know if he was an early graduate. Like you haven't even graduated high school yet, but we think you could potentially provide value to our football team. So we're going to give you, give you this, like, I just like, it's just the wildest thing ever. Like, man, we've really jumped off the tracks here. You know? I mean, we like outrage. Out, I mean, I remember the outrage when Reggie Bush family's living in a house, right? I mean, it, you know, legitimately, you know, out, I mean, I'm like, as a college football fan, I'm like, that is complete crap. USC needs to, you know, go down. This is, you know, this is because he, he was all, he was all set to go to uh, Notre Dame and he flipped oh. the last minute to go to, yeah, USC, and no one could figure out why. And then all of a sudden, yeah, well, they put up his family in a house in Malibu. And Notre Dame only has cheating when it involves a woman um, embezzling money from a from a company and giving it to players. Um, they don't, they don't, they, you know, Notre Dame, you're not exactly clean either. Um, but that's a whole hey, other issue. Nobody is. Nobody right? is. Nobody, nobody is. Nobody Everybody's got blood on their hands. Yeah, right. It's just, I just, it was just this weird thing of being like, you know, it's one thing when you see like, you know, these these NFL players uh, that are doing it, right? It's another one. It just struck home, uh, you know, when you go to like my, I've got, you know, so two sons and we watch them play flag football and you watch the kids imitate. Uh, the NFL players, and they have no freaking clue what they're doing or why they're doing it. They just have seen somebody else do it. And it's just like this this uh, this mimicking behavior where it's like, you know, McCray's just grown up watching these videos of these guys on social media when they make it big. Day. On draft you know, on, Well, you know, whether it's draft day or whether it's, you know, whomever, whatever, The Rock. Right, he does yeah, some yeah, movies yeah. out there. He's giving his mom a car, or giving his dad, his mom a house, or whatever. It's yeah. like oh, I'm going to do the same thing, and it's like, well, uh, technically that booster gave it to her, uh, and he's only given it to her as long as you're at Florida, and all. It's like it's just the most. Oh man, it's. But I can see, I can see the coaches like biting the bullet and all of it to just say. I mean, let's be honest, right? If you're OU and you could lock down David Stone on August fifteenth. We would have said, yes, hell yes, triple hell yes, do it now, right? Yeah. I mean, if Brent had said, well, I didn't sign him August 15th because I didn't believe in that. And we, as fans, we'd be like, are you out of your ever-loving mind? If you could lock down your four or five-star guys August 15th, do it. I'm, I'm, it's funny because I, it, in a perfect world, to me, they get rid of both signing days and they just push everything back to the original February and let kids play out their senior years. Yeah, and go there. I, I'm, I'm actually, but the early enrollee, the early enrollee thing is the only thing that messes with that, in my opinion. I agree with you yeah. otherwise. Yeah, if, yeah. If I guess, was, I think, you know, I guess they could sign a what a, a financial aid agreement. I'm like the polar opposite of like so much of like I know Saban's going to be the. Uh, the football commissioner for CFB. I know. And I know Josh Pate is always like banging the drum to make him the commissioner. I firmly believe that I should be honestly, because like, I, I'd be honest with you. Like I would like a lot of this stuff. I would say, look, we're going back to the old school. Like you can have zero, zero amount of contact with any of these kids prior to like their junior year of high school. 
when it starts as a junior year, you can, you know what I mean? Like, because that, because that has been the the crutch and the excuse for all of this for so long is, well, the recruiting is just sped up and you have Leonard Fournette getting offers when he's a eighth grader in high school. And you have the quarterback that went to, Oh, we talked about him once. You know, he ended up going, I think, to USC, transferred to West Virginia and played JT wide receiver. Daniel, JT Daniel. No, no, the kid no. that played wide receiver at, at West Virginia. Oh, uh, Big tall yeah, kid. I know. I know who you're talking but about. He yeah. was famous that uh, Kiffin offered him as like yeah, a yeah, seventh yeah, grader. Yeah, yeah. You know, a seventh grader, right? And like, look, you know, like what you're doing to like, particularly in this day and age when you have social media and everything is driven off of like value of your value was on likes and attention. Like you're doing nobody any favors. Like if you actually care about them, let's pull back. Let's not give that to them. Let's make it a, you know, a complete illegal offense to have any contact outside of when they're at your camp. Right. Or you may be sending them a letter. If it's even, if we ever get catch wind that you've told them they have an offer, even unofficial, you know, it is do not pass go. You get the show clause, like, boom, you're done. We don't, you know, like, that's just the way it's going to be. Right. You set a standard. That is, this is the standard. Like you don't meet the standard, you're out. I would love for that, you know, for something like that to occur, just to, to bring some normalcy back to it and stop the uh, the insanity around it all. Because it's just, the thing, the thing, I think the thing that probably you and I both don't like about the McCray deal is, <laughs> is it's like, it is the example of cheating has become so in your face that here is a kid posting on social media. Here it is. Like I was offered all of these permissible illegal benefits from this school for my signature. It's pay for play. It has nothing to do with name, image, and likeness. It's not about kids making an extra dollar. Like it's 100% pay for play being funded by boosters for me to go to this school. And here, here it is and in it your has, face. And it has nothing to do. And the last thing, and the, and the number one, the thing that drives me kind of crazy is with the NIL thing is, is and this is going to sound a little egotistical or, or perhaps, uh, uh, derogatory towards some schools, so yeah, I kind of really mean it. Um, it's allowed delusional schools and fan bases to kind of go crazy from this NIL stuff, right? That we can we we could go all in one year, and and we could actually be we could be Alabama for a year. It's like all of a sudden they've just you know if you're Florida and let's face it, you have self destructed. Since Urban's left, I mean, you 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 were when Urban when Urban left because of his health issues. <laughs> um, uh, they were the they were they were arguably the number one program in college football, right? Yeah, no, they probably were. I mean, we could we can debate. Maybe I suppose I suppose you could. The debate would be Saban's arrival at Alabama and then him beating. Florida yeah. so in that SEC five, title right? game. But yeah, but he's, top, he's right there. Top five, top five, right? And and since then, they have basically self-destructed their way through, is it four coaches? I'm trying to think who even followed Urban. Who did follow Urban? Was it was it McElwain? No, it was Coach Boom. It was... Uh, Muschamp. Yeah. So, so Muschamp, McElwain... McElwain uh, uh, Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen. They're on their fourth, right? They might be on their fifth. Did Charlie Strong coach them for a year as head coach? I don't think no, so. No, no, no. But they're on their fifth, right? Because there's no way what's his name is lasting this this 
absolute bear of a schedule he's got. Let me Lanier's dead dead man walking, right? Um, it sure looks like it, and I, 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 you know, we, I've got the, uh, that we've got that thread on the board. We're kind of rolling through. Yeah. Uh, everybody in the SEC, I think it was Billy Conley put out returning production, offense, and defense. And I don't remember who it was on the board. Maybe it was Saptown. Someone else pointed out, hey, we need to look at what is offensive line returning. So, in this process of going through yeah. all yeah. their offensive lines, I'm telling you, when you get to Florida's, it's like. Whoa. Like, you know, so their their best guard, according to, you know, what you can find on analytics, transfers out to Nebraska. Uh, you know, another the other guard, he's got years of eligibility left. He's like, nap, nap, I'll see you later. I'll go try to the NFL. You, you know, and, and then you look at their tackles and it's like, I don't know about that. Like it's uh and it's ugly. But anyway, it's so, you ugly. Got, so you got Florida, right? Who is basically, I mean, they're throwing all this money at McCray and it's like Guys, your program's in such a mess, you know. They, and they're got and they're off to a hot recruiting start again, Caleb, for twenty five. It's here like- is here's their head coaches since Urban, and granted a couple of these, but you had it was it was Muschamp, and then DJ Durkin took over for a game, and then Jim McElwain. So Muschamp was forty nine, and what is this? Let me make sure this. Because he was at That's South Carolina for a while. No, so here you go. Uh, Muschamp was 28 and 21. Durkin 1 and 0. You had McElwain 22 and 12. Randy Shannon was uh, took over from McElwain midseason there, was 1 and 3. Dan Mullen was 34 and 15. Uh, and Greg Knox played one there, or coached one there. Then Billy Napier is, 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 is 4 and 15. So Dan Mullen, like he is the, he is the one that sticks out. And it did, it looked like, I'll be honest with you. And you do wonder if Dan Mullen is another prime example we talked about earlier as it relates to coaches that had made a ton of money, loved coaching football. But when he started getting into the NIL world and all of this, he just got to where he was like, I'm done. I, that was a knock on him is that suddenly yeah. Yeah. late in his time at Florida, and it was late, right? First couple of years was great. That suddenly late in his couple, in those, those last, you know, last two years at Florida, he stopped recruiting. And you know what? That's the rise of like NIL, right? 2020, 2021. It's yeah, starting yeah, to get yeah. this. I think he's got, in, in I say rise of NIL, also just rise of transfer portal being like free for all, right? Yeah. And so I think you maybe, he's another good example of a really good coach that just said, I've had it. I'll, I will go make a million dollars a year as a talking head on ESPN. So let's talk about one last calendar change and the radical idea you and I have come up with offline. So the last thing we think college football needs to do to rein in the nonsense is they need to move the transfer portal to June, May and June. Those two months are when you transfer and you can be eligible in that fall. You can be eligible that fall, but take the transfer portal out of December, January, out of the college football playoff, which you're trying to expand to, 14, 16, 24 teams, God knows what it is they're going to come up with. But they can't break they, they can't break it for the most part. Like it'll be they'll be great games. If they put it on campuses in December, it'll be great atmosphere uh, other than the fact Penn State's um bathrooms aren't winterized. So if they win a if they uh, legitimately if they if they get a if they run the table this year and have a or have to play a playoff game, they may have to like play in like Pittsburgh or something because their their stadium is not winterized. Well, the toilets aren't. 
they freeze every year around December 1st and unthaw sometime like in April, according to like a Penn State guy. So, um, so, so you can't screw that up, right? But I think if you could get the portal into May and June, right? You go through spring and then you decide where you are with the program, right? And you'd stop this free-for-all shopping, fixing my roster nonsense in December, in December and January, where fourth, where you know teams, you know, are, are you know, everyone's like, you know, well, oh, you need to be spending all this money on guys, and we kept saying, well, some of these guys just aren't worth that. You keep saying you want OU to spend this amount of money on a guy, he, he's not that good. He's not going. He doesn't raise OU's roster. Now, some of them did. And we miss on a couple of them, but you know, when they're getting when they're getting money more than, you know, three five stars OU's getting out of high school, that that's you're like, okay, that's a time when you do move away, right? It's the shop smarter, not larger, right? Um so we wanna move to we wanna move to May, June transfer portal, wrap it around the fact that that's the academic year. It's it's a still a they are pretending to still be students. We want them to complete their academic year before they go somewhere else, right? It is it is really difficult to say it's still about being a student when they're going to run the playoffs through the Chris, through finals. And they run Christmas the NCAA break. basketball tournament through the middle of a midterms. semester. Midterms. So I'm with you, Caleb, but I'm, I'm, I'm latching onto it to try and get some sanity. See, this is why it's like, hey, Caleb, we're going to make you commissioner. Like I said, the first thing I'm going to do is step in and say, okay, maybe the top 72 – top 64, whatever it is, we're going to break into effectively 18 conferences. Inside those 18 conferences, we're going to do mostly regional and historical rivalries. Everybody's going to play effectively, what, five out-of-conference games. Those five, four of those five must be against other top-tier teams. So what it can also allow you to do is to keep a lot of your your historical rivalries alive. So let's say Oklahoma and Nebraska, that would be played every year. Right? They don't have to be in the same conference anymore. It's like Oklahoma and Texas was not. You can still play that. So right. if you want to, so if you want to kick, you know, to to balance some things out, if you don't have, you know, Florida and Tennessee in the same conference, right? Because maybe maybe Florida is in a Florida type based conference with Florida State, and Miami, and so on, and Tennessee's in the SEC. You still get them in that crossover every year, but you're going to get these big. These big national games, like we used to get, when you know when UCLA would go out and play Miami, you know I, I, most people maybe don't remember that, right? But like it was the was it the uh, was that the the reason Miami didn't play for the national title in two thousand, right? Is it the reason is, UCLA didn't? Reason it UCLA did. It was a hurricane. It was a hurricane. And, yeah, and UCLA's defense. and yeah, they went out and yeah, and or, so or, like or, or as Bears. I'm sorry, I have to. Uh, that would be Bears fans are going to force me to say that would be Cade McClown. The clown, <laughs> but you know, I just think like you're going to get that, and then I would say like so. What you get there is a great regular season. You get the best regular season possible, and you're going to make it super valuable because of those eight. Each conference winner gets slotted in the playoff. Now you can give four additional at-large bid teams. That hey, you're going to like you know whoever else you're going to get in this. Okay, you get them in, and then. What you're like right now, where you normally playing your like conference championship or whatever that is, right? Or probably before that, you get you get that first game, that first playoff game, and you can end college football playoffs before you get into the NFL playoffs. Uh, you we'll know, get very uh, we'll get very close to it at the very get very close to it. But yeah, I, but back to your 
you know, your point on the, on the transfer portal. I think that's, to me, that's maybe the, the best fix they could get right now. Or you could say, okay, how do we get a hold of the transfer portal? Like NIL is what it is. We can't, that's, that's a whole nother discussion because of what states have done individually as it pertains to the law. Right. So that's, you know, they're going to have to break off a new entity to get to fix that. But how you can fix the transfer portal and NIL in that, right, is to say, okay, the only window we're going to have is the summer. Like that's it. So from right, June 1st to July 31st, you can transfer inside that window. That is the only one you get to transfer inside of. You're going to force kids to stick it out through the spring to go through development. And with that, you'll force more of these programs like an Ole Miss be a good example where they can't go, hey, we're going to just not sign any high school kids and we're going to go to the portal and we're going to poach hard because they're going to be sitting there going like, well, we're not 100% sure who is going to be poachable. Who's not all these staffs, new staffs are going to have had six months with another, you know, with these kids, like, we're just not sure what we're going to be able to do. So we need to ensure we're going to have a team. Let's sign the high school kids. Let's put all the work in of developing them and coaching them up in the spring. And our first first and second year players too, right? Yes. I mean, it's exactly, you know, because I think the other part of this is personally, I think you see it already, right? It's a weird, I think football, both at the NFL and the collegiate level, is in this very odd and weird place where the physical talent and in some ways the skill has never been higher, but the overall play is just eroding. And I think the it's N- because the NFL this year, there were weeks where the games were just awful. Well, you know, and Tom Brady, like, like I absolutely love that guy. And, it's, and probably because he says so many things that I've said, like to my wife uh, for years. And, it, you know, and, and, and we'll say, and now you can point at Tom and say, hey, hey, honey, I was Tom right. Brady. Tom Brady says Tom Brady this. agrees with me. You know, he, he gets you know, it. Hey, he's I don't know goat. why you he don't. Gets, he gets you know. it. Yeah, but he's pointed it out, right? He's like, what they've done is you know, there's not a lot of high-level skill because it's not being taught. They've tried to officiate those things out of games, right? So rather than a quarterback protecting his, you know, his players or, you know, or having to learn coverages and learning this and learning that, oh, the coach will just take it over from the sideline and try to call everything, you know? Doesn't have to learn. We have the coverage. Other coach will, will call that, and I'll just go through my reads. I'll just move on. I'm just a, a mindless thing moving through this. You know, like get back to like truly developing like the fundamentals of the game and with with the skill that these guys are athletically now, it, the game's going to be that much better. Yeah. You know, in, in develop my opinion. Your, develop your kids. I mean, the one thing, I mean, we've got, and I'll end this with this, about we've gone back and forth and build and recruiting and development and the portal and all that, but Really, at some point, you know, Bill, you keep losing tackles to the pros. Just get a guy ready in spring on your off your roster, right? Don't sign three guys from the portal. Just play Logan freaking Howland and get the kid ready and make him an old pro, and make him a three year starter at offensive tackle, right? You know, you know, that's such a good point because I think one can make the case that. Right. You talk about like great men become great because greatness was thrust upon them in those moments. And, and you can make an argument like, you know, and I think this is a fair argument to make if you really look back and you look at like Lane Johnson's trajectory as a tackle at Oklahoma. His first few games, his first few outings, it was the definition of up and down. 
he would have a play where he'd come off the ball and you'd see his explosiveness. That guy, you know, flat back, strike a guy, roll his hips, you know, look great. And then you'd see him get him just absolutely whiff and look horrible. You know, it's like, okay, well, he's developing, but he got thrown into the fire and he caught immensely better that by the end of, you know, his, his last few games, he was had moments of just sheer dominance. And you could see that ability, right? Like Tyler Guyton's another really good example, like just this ball of clay where it's like, oh, here's all the ability in the world. Like, you know, well, guess what? This year you have two tackles. You got to play him, right? Because early in the season, Sexton's got got that knee. I don't I think he was cleared right around the beginning of the season. Or Wande Morris the year before. Is that ineligible? Yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Juan Morris and uh, Super Bowl champion. Um, it's, it's why I, I saw like a clip of the 2021 team, and you see, uh, you see, what's his name? Uh, 52 played guard forever for Oklahoma. Uh, kid out of McKinney. What is his name? What was his name? The guard that played guard opposite of Hayes, Robinson, Tyrese Robinson. Robinson. Tyrese Robinson. You Oklahoma has Tyrese Robinson starting at right tackle and Wanya Morris on the sideline. It's like, here's your kid that's going to play in the NFL, going to be drafted in the third round, sent no, on they, the sideline. They didn't, they didn't have, didn't have Wanya that year. No, they did. He did didn't they? play. It, yeah, because he was, because he came in and he had his came academic. in the summer, I think, and there was yeah, something yeah. wrong and, and Bill didn't trust him or whatever it was. But yeah, I, I'm with you there completely. It's like, you know, uh, you know, in just, some ways, I think there's there's the benefit. Would, the coaches would just be like, "I got guys. I don't need to add." You know, maybe a guy gets injured in spring, and all of a sudden you need someone. It would just make the portal more about I got about the small needs rather than the roster overall. Well, it would make the portal, I think, more about what it's meant to be, which is you know, kids that are truly looking to make a move for, you know, get whether it's getting closer to home or, you know, veteran guys that have gone through this and know, hey, I'm not going to get a chance to play here. I'm in my third or fourth year. Right, I want right. to go somewhere where I'm going to get to play. You yeah. get back to that and you get away from, you know, the the redshirt freshman quarterback at UNLV that has a fantastic season, right? And is all Mountain West in USC going, well, we sure would like somebody to compete with our other quarterback. So we're going to sign you. We're going to, we're going to poach you out of the pool. Well, Ma- Malachi Nelson flamed out. We're going to send, we're going to, we're going to um, export him to Boise state. So why don't we go steal somebody from someone else? See, it's another good example of Malachi Nelson, right? Like rather than just saying, "Hey, you've been on campus for eight months, nine months," and uh, half of which your shoulders been in a sling. Let's say coming off sh- shoulder surgery, we don't like what we see. We're going to move on. You know, it'd get back to like again, just being what football was more about was like you know, building and developing. All right. Well, that get off your lawn football moment was brought to you by Caleb Cummings. And we're going to end on that note. Hope you guys have enjoyed this. Uh, please subscribe to us on your platform of choice. Anybody, everybody that listens, we really appreciate you guys following us. And we'll be back next week with hopefully some more Sooner recruiting news. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>